Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Death Taxes and Disappointing Sex podcast. And today we have um, another very special guest who I know from my time at MNU, Mr. Jonathan Landles. Hello, Johnny. Hello. How's, how's things? How's isolation <laughs> treating you? Isolation is absolutely great. You know, I was I was really worried about it at first. Uh, I'm quite extroverted, naturally. And so I was quite worried about it because of the lack of like activities and stuff that I used to fill my time. Um, but luckily, uh, my girlfriend and I have, have treated it quite positively in using almost like extra evening time to just be more uh, productive with with work or to uh, to try and do terrible TikTok videos. So it's all I right. love your TikTok videos. They make me <laughs> smile so much. And you also have a trampoline, which is the epitome of all isolation fun. Yeah, I mean, I can't tell you the amount of people who have messaged me and said that they've bought a trampoline because of me bouncing on it. And I just thought to myself, like, flipping heck, if I had some discount codes for trampolines <laughs> or uh, some books or, like, brought out a range of fitness equipment, I'd, you know, I'd be all right. It's a, it's a business idea for sure. That's a, yeah. You're basically an influencer now. You do realise yeah. that, don't you? What are you famous I... for? I, I, yeah, sold trampolines. <laughs> I got people to buy mini trampettes off Amazon when they were in isolation. But hey, you know, it's a great way to break up the day. It is. Yeah, I can imagine that. Um, so I kind of know you from, uh, you were the first intake of my nutrition students that I encountered when I first started. So I think I started around about the time that you graduated. Um, yeah. Yeah, I did. Um. Yeah, my first event was a clinical conference. And I think you were there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you were there. Uh, so you haven't always been involved in the nutrition space, have you? No, I came to it quite only just a few years ago, like 2016. I think I started my company. Um, yeah. Before that, I was into fitness, like I was doing CrossFit, actually. Um, but then right before that, uh, I <laughs> I actually tried to make it as a musical theatre actor, um, which is what a lot of people don't actually know. So tell me more about that. Where where on earth do you does like that change happen where you're like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do musical theatre. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was it was weird. Like so I when I was younger I was always into singing when I was a, like when I was a kid and when I was growing up. Um and especially then into my teenage years, I just did a lot of singing just for the just for the fun of it, really. Um and I was one of those kids that was like always in the school play or like the school musical. And in my secondary school, they did they alternated between doing a a play or a musical as like the school production, which you could audition for and, and get in. Um, and it was when I was 15, I did a production of Guys and Dolls at the school. And I don't know if you know the musical, um, but I played a part called Nicely Nicely Johnson, who's basically like this big fat gangster. <laughs> I, was, I was a bit chubby in school that's a different story entirely um but it was just it was a great part like really funny um and I basically every time I came on I had to be eating some kind of food um but it had some great songs in there as well um and I particularly remember my dad being in the front row and uh like hearing his laughter like out like you know like if I had like a good line or something like that um and I just thought to myself uh this was something that I really enjoyed doing so I got into a an amateur youth theatre company as well and did a couple of productions with them, one of which was Les Miserables, which, you know, you, I hope you've heard of because most people I have. have. Yeah. Uh, and in that production, I was the like the oldest boy and I was also the like the biggest boy. So I got the lead role of uh, Jean Valjean in Les Mis. Oh, check you. 
yeah yeah check me and uh and then it was performing that in front of the local th- like we did our productions for um in the sand center in carlisle which is where i grew up and the sand center is like where if if they have a touring production or a band or something playing carlisle they do it at the sand center so it's quite a big theater and we performed this production in front of a sellout crowd every night and um and i just thought you know this is this is bloody brilliant i love this uh and it's I was just heading into my second year of A levels at the time. Mm-hmm. And before that point I'd thought about being a vet, funnily enough. I was doing sciences at A levels. I did chemistry, biology, maths, and philosophy at A level. Oh, um wow. yeah. And uh but it was between first year and second year where I um I got I got a B in I think I got a B in everything apart from maths and maths I got a C. And I was very aware that to be a vet at the time, I needed chemistry, biology, and then either physics or maths, and to, and for them to be A's, which was yeah. the high, highest grade at the time, uh, to even be considered, because there's only like six or seven places in the country that do veterinary. Yeah, yeah, it's, so it's was, a difficult one to get into. Yeah, so I stood there with my results uh, between first and second year of A-level with my mum, because uh, unfortunately that was... Was it that summer? It was or, you know, It was the summer before. The summer before I went into A-level, my dad unfortunately passed away. And uh, that was a big hit. And it was at that time I was talking to my mum and we were looking at my results and we were then also reflecting on like how short life is. And uh, we just had that conversation where it was like, life's too short to not do what you really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um and so we talked about musical theatre and performing, and I just said, "Hey, you know, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna give it a crack because why not? Because if I don't do it, I'll never know." Mm-hmm. So I applied for a couple of drama schools and a couple of universities that did musical theatre because at the time I wasn't really aware of how the audition process worked. I know much more now than I used to. For uh, my school was a private school, it was quite small, quite ap- academic, so we just went through UCAS at the time. Yeah. And there was only a couple of drama schools that had their application process through there. Most others do it privately. So I definitely didn't audition to all of them. I I only auditioned to Central School of Speech and Drama, Lambda, which is in Liverpool. Um, and then I auditioned to the University of Cumbria, which is in Carlisle, um, and the University of Central Lancashire, which is in Preston. Yeah. And the, uh, the two places I got into were the University of Cumbria, and the University of Central Lancashire. So I went to the University of Central Lancashire to do music theatre, studied there for three years, um, where I did a a performance with them every year as part of the course, um, including in the last year we did Footloose. Do you know of it? I do know Footloose. That is a very good musical. We did Footloose and I played the part of Wren, funny enough. So I had to learn how to dance quite quickly. Uh, which is still something I'm not amazing at, but I try. I'm a try. No, your TikTok suggests that you're an amazing dancer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everyone go and follow JJ Landles on TikTok and you'll see how Charlotte is completely taking the piss. Um, but yeah, so I did I did that show and I also was in the chamber choir for the university, funnily enough, which was a, a small choir of like tenors, altos, sopranos and basses together. There was like 26 of us. Um, what were you? I was a tenor, so one of the higher boys uh, in the voice, but it was the sec- a second tenor. So it was like not as high as the first tenors, but not as low as the like the first basses. Basically, when you okay. go into, we'd sometimes go into eight parts. You see, because we were that that posh. Uh, 
but that was a that was an audition only choir for the course as well so between the three years that was on that degree you had to audition to get in that and I was lucky enough to be in that for two of the three years that I was uh, at that college um and we won you know we won BBC choir of the year at one stage as well oh, which was wow. pretty which was pretty cool uh as well as good housekeeping's choir of the year so uh we definitely that's the one that counts though yeah that was the one that counted no bbc can can do one um (laughs) but yeah so those those were good times so i performed with the choir did a few musicals uh each year um and then i eventually went to the royal welsh academy of music and drama to do a master's in musical theater so i did that after this degree because i wanted to get a like a like a proper drama school under my belt if it were yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so then that's that that university's in Cardiff. So I spent a year in Cardiff doing a master's in musical theatre there. Um and I graduated from there. I managed to get an agent just after graduating from there. Um and from there I moved to London and uh, and tried it as a musical theatre actor. Uh which was, you know, not successful at all as it were plenty of auditions not many jobs why do you think that it didn't quite go as you planned um you know I reflect on this quite a lot and think about what it was and uh, I definitely worked I worked reasonably hard at at college at, at the master's level but I'd also just started doing CrossFit seriously okay and CrossFit was something that had filled my time after rugby pretty much because I was really into rugby when I was in school and uni. Um, And then after uni and after I stopped playing rugby, I kind of needed something to fill that competitive edge and CrossFit became that thing. Um, And because I was reasonably strong and I was reasonably fit for a bigger guy, I I did quite well at CrossFit quite early doors. Um, and so I definitely prioritised a lot of time to go to the CrossFit gym in Cardiff. I enjoyed the community, spent a lot of time with them. Like my friends from Cardiff are people from that CrossFit gym more than the people from my course at college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think think really in hindsight, I probably spent too much time exercising and working out and not enough time practising singing and dancing. Yeah. If I If I look back, I could have been in the practice room at college late at night practicing dance routines and practicing singing practicing monologues basically just getting better at my craft that I wanted to take as a career um and the the thing about the the musical theater career is that your agent can think you're good from your show reel and from what they see of you in in showcases or shows which is usually how they pick you up but then they put you in front of a, an audition panel for a musical and that audition panel will have their own conceptions of who they want for a part. They'll think of like, yeah, we want people this height, this build, this color hair. Um, and you might be able to change that if you're really, really good, uh, but you might not. And the issue about auditions, because they see so many people, it's one of the most competitive industries you can go into. You never get any feedback from it. And so you never hear from the audition panel. We didn't take you on board because you're too big or you're too short or you were actually crap at singing um you know you don't hear any of those things yeah which which makes it very hard to refine um and you know when you get to london i was focusing on working and earning a living just to kind of afford living there um and again probably didn't do as much as i could and should have done in terms of getting better at my craft 
but that was purely from a budget standpoint. You know, I could barely afford to live there, let alone get singing and dancing lessons and stuff on top. Yeah. So it's um, a ridiculously expensive place to live. It is a ridiculously expensive place to live. You know, I live in Leeds now. Um, and I lived in London for three years, but I gave up acting after, I think after a year or a year and a half of living there. Um, and again, purely because my CrossFit coaching career kind of took over and I was spending most of my time either coaching or training in CrossFit and not enough time refining my craft. So if I'm, if I'm brutally honest, I gave up early, um, because I found it really difficult Mm -hmm. and I, it's, it, because of your lack of feedback and the amount of knockbacks you get, I got a couple of paid jobs that were quite small, um, but nothing like no touring productions or West End productions or anything of like of note. Um, but to get paid to do anything in the acting career, I still kind of see that I had a good run. Um, but I definitely I gave up too soon and didn't try hard enough. And uh, when I had that personal reflection on that time, and and said to myself you didn't actually try hard enough at something you really wanted to do um I vowed to kind of never let that happen again I think that's a really strong life lesson was there a moment that you sort of you sat down with yourself and went I don't want to do this anymore or I'm not doing it anymore like did that sort of happen in one day or did it sort of phase out over time and that you realized you were just sort of not going to auditions and spending more time at CrossFit yeah, it was, a, it was a phase out over time because my auditions, when you first come out of drama school, you're kind of like hot on the market, right, mm-hmm. in, in the way it goes. And the thing is, is that you basically have that year where you're with a bunch of other graduates as well, where you're like the next stuff. You are the thing that the, the agents want to see. You're the thing that the uh, audition panels want to see because they've not seen you before. And after that first year, once you've done all of the auditions for like the top musicals in the West End or the touring productions, because most of them are cast by similar companies, yeah. you've you've been seen and you need to you need to strike while the iron is hot. And so I got a couple of paid jobs in smaller productions, like I got a panto in Devon and a and a, like a really small original musical up in Durham for a bit, um, which is great because it's great to start to pad out your CV. But if you don't pad out your CV more with these like touring productions or West End shows, by the time it comes around another year, it's even harder to get through the door because there are other graduates there stamping on the door too. And they can only only see so many people. Um, Luckily enough, I had a really good agent. Like when I reflect on it, she was great. She got me through the door for Les Mis twice. Um, I got seen for Phantom. I got saw for... Billy Elliot, um, West Side Story, Miss Saigon, um, Grease, touring productions of The Wizard of Oz, uh, and Wicked. Um, so I got I got seen for a lot of great shows, um, and I got seen for a couple of them twice. But it just wasn't happening. Um, and my agent emailed me, and she was like, "You know, I just I actually can't get you through the door anymore. Like I've submitted your CV and your headshots to X amount of shows and X amount of productions, and and no one's giving you an audition. Um, and the thing is, is that agents only get paid if you get paid. That's uh-huh. how they that's how they work. They take a they take a commission off of your earnings. So it's in their interest to get you work for one, but it's in your interest to get the work if you want to keep your agent. Yeah." Because yeah. they can only take on so many people at once and do a good job. Ah, uh, I see. To be honest, though, the fact that you got to audition for that much stuff is quite an achievement in itself. Like, you can't knock the fact that that's impressive. 
I was happy with it. And it's, uh, you know, when I when I got the email from my agent, it hit me quite hard because then I thought to myself, right, do I try to get another agent and do I then try harder at this or do I commit to doing what I'm doing now? Um, and at the time I was coaching at a CrossFit gym in London full time, um, which I eventually became head coach of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I had some really great times and I learned a lot about coaching and stuff, which have led me to like where I am today. So uh, when I reflect back, I'm like, you know, I wouldn't change it because it's brought me to where I am. And um, it is also that it's great to reflect and say, yeah, I had that time of auditioning in front of panels. And that gives you a lot of confidence in this world. You know, I don't I don't shy away from podcasts like these. I don't shy away from filming videos, be them stupid or serious. And I definitely have a lot of confidence to kind of out, you know, be outspoken, um, which I think will only help in, in the career that I'm kind of trying to build at the moment. You are a super out, like not outspoken person, but you're definitely like you come across as being quite extroverted. Yeah, <laughs> don't know where I got that impression from. <laughs> um, yeah. So you kind of you mentioned that your dad passed away when you were quite young. How do you mm-hmm. think that's impacted on you? You said that you you kind of wanted to satisfy this big what if, as in like what if I didn't go for this, and that'd mm. always be hanging over your head. But do you think it's it's impacted you in other ways in like your work now? Yeah, I, I definitely think so because it's um I still make the decision based on what I really want to do, mm-hmm. you know. Like, and I think anyone listening to this should take that on board. Is that like, if you're scared about doing something but you want to do it, you need to find a way to make that happen, and you need yeah. to cross that bridge because the thing is, is that otherwise you will regret it forever, and uh, life is too short to regret not doing something. I'd rather I said this, I always say this I'd rather regret something I did than regret something I didn't do. And I've um, I've turned down some opportunities in the past that I regretted. Um, and then I said to myself, I'm never going to do that. I'll turn down opportunities when they're not right. And then I'll move forward and won't regret them. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, the thing with my dad is that like my dad owned his own, own, own business as well. He started his own business and he started that with my mum and made that really successful. And that was inspiration for me to be like, you know, if I want to do something, then I know that I can work hard to do it. Um, and with, you know, I was really loving CrossFit coaching, but I thought there was something missing. And I wanted to start coaching nutrition because I had such a great insight myself and I wanted to bring that to other people. Mm-hmm. And then over time, it just, it just evolved where I thought, well, I'm going to go, I'm going to go full time with this now because it's, it's such a big mission of mine. Um, and then that's, that's where I find myself now. And I think if my my dad passing away was a massive thing and it's something I like I'm still sad about every day um but in terms of like using that as a life lesson and as a way to launch yourself into hopefully you know great success um that's that's all you can do from it you can just say well actually it's a lesson that life is too short and you need to you need to grab life by the balls as it were and uh, and do what you bloody want to do because if you don't you'll uh, you'll either die and you won't know that you'll regret it or you'll be on your life bed your deathbed sorry and you'll be thinking why didn't I do what I've always wanted to do yeah so with that in mind do you have some pretty big goals now yeah I'd say so they are and uh and it's you know I had to write it down and, and it was almost scary for me to like write it down or put it you know put it out to the universe because then I kind of feel accountable to do it yeah but with with next step nutrition as as the company that I'm I own now at the moment, it is just me. Um, but, you know, I'm only a few years in. 
And I'd love there to be a big shift in the way that the world views nutrition. And I can see it happening with with more of the evidence-based crowd coming up. And I think that's I think I see that more though because I'm within it. Yeah. So I still don't know that the evidence-based crowd sees a lot of what the general public see. And a lot of the general public just see terrible information around nutrition. It's, you know, from from people who have uh, great social media reach that don't know what they're on about, uh, from the media, from even from the government, you know, the get well plate and or the eat well plate, wherever it's called, and the traffic light system. They're trying, but they're kind of missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Um and I would love there to be a huge shift in the way that, especially especially the UK, but the world view nutrition in terms of what healthy eating actually means, what a balanced life actually means. Because people who are like, you know, you'd know from competing in bodybuilding, that is a sport and that is the top end of something, right? Sport is always the top end of, of uh, peak physical condition. And that's actually quite far away from being healthy and balanced. Yeah, so being healthy. Being healthy and balanced is not about having six-pack abs. It might be, depending on your your start point and your genetics. But for most people, it's somewhere in between, which allows them to live a, a really full life where they can have alcohol with their mates and not regret it, where they can have cheesecake with their family and not feel guilty. Um, but they know how to eat well outside of those things so that they're not just like, oh, well, what diet do I do to, to lose weight or what diet do I do to stay healthy? They know how to eat healthy balanced meals and they know how that fits in with a healthy balanced lifestyle i would love that for everyone so that's a a big goal of mine is to hopefully get into some kind of i don't know how it will work yet but and and the minute i'm just sort of doing one-to-one coaching and some kind of group coaching Mm -hmm. but i'd love over time to expand more into like uh outreach seminars for businesses and potentially then into schools improve the education that we get in schools and then you know then somehow uh try and get it in front of a, a government governing body at some point and just be like look you know if we don't if we don't change the information we give out on this level and the level we give to our kids then this cycle will always always be going on yeah i completely agree with that i know what you mean about i'm not sure if the general public sees what i see because yeah from what I've learned from being at MNU is that it's a bit of an echo chamber mm-hmm. so that we were this big group of evidence-based practitioners and we sort of all live in this massive bubble of evidence-based yeah and we kind of can't reach out of it and we don't necessarily see what's on the outside yeah we don't and and, and the thing is is that I am um, I started taking a hit on my content because people were like oh well we know that and like oh that's basic or or things like that and I was like oh crap you know do I need to uh do I need to do more research on these things and be like even more advanced? And I was like, Mm. no, I don't. Because if I want to speak to other practitioners, then maybe, yeah, I need to be like, I need to know more or be more advanced so that they follow me and they get information from me. But if I'm talking to people who are potential clients, then you need to be as simple as you can because people, as much as we're in this echo chamber of MNU practitioners of like, yeah, we know, we know all of this crap about energy balance and we know about proteins. Yeah. We know about, we know that PCOS can, you know, can mess people up and, uh, and all that crap. And it's like, we know this, but other people don't. And so, you know, you don't need to care if an MNU, like if, if MNU students didn't follow me, I wouldn't give a shit. Right. Because it's like, I'm not trying to, to help you. Like you've been helped now go and help other people. I'm trying to help the general population who need to know that Gene from the office 
is wrong that keto has helped her shed 15 pounds by turning all of her you know body fat into energy stores and that's the only thing that matters or that like you know that pete thinks that starvation mode exists or that bob down the road um did the paleo diet and now is you know healthier than ever like that's what we need to keep communicating out there. Um, and so I've taken a big shift back into like, I'll, I'll say some advanced stuff for the people that follow me, but I'll also say a lot of really simple stuff because if we don't keep pumping that message out there, then it won't, you know, we won't win. And, and the yeah. thing is, is that we, for the, for the sake of the future generations, we need to win this battle. Yeah. Um, are you competitive by any chance? <laughs> yes, massively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you competed in CrossFit for quite a while, didn't you? Yes, I did. Yeah. So, uh, as I said, I was, I was, I did rugby for a long time. Yeah. And I didn't, uh, I didn't take it as far level as Louis. I never became professional, um, which is actually also something that I thought, like, yeah, you didn't try hard enough there, Johnny. But we don't need to go down that road. I played up until like county level, and then stopped because my university degree uh, had me working on the days when my like rugby team would be playing. So oh, it was I kind see. of a it was a decision of either get your degree or play rugby. So I chose to get my degree. Probably the sensible choice there. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, then I then found CrossFit. So I found CrossFit originally in Carlisle between the summer of second and third year of uni. Um, and then when I went back to uni, there wasn't a CrossFit gym in Preston at the time. Whereas I think now there's like two or three. Um, so I was one of the uh, like the OGs, as you would say, because CrossFit only came over to the UK around 2009, 2010 and 2010 mm-hmm. when I started. Um, and so, yeah, so when I was, when I was in Cardiff, uh, that's when I started my like competitive career as it were, and competed in the, the central Manchester games as it were known, uh, and did not very well there. But then after that's a I big moved, one though, isn't it? So the central Manchester games at the time was like a big one. Yeah. Um, but now they would have, you know, they had something called the athlete games in Manchester, um, which kind of took over them and then everything kind of became more sort of like London focused really. It's like, um, you know, there's take, there's been a huge shift now between sort of local competitions into like sanctionals and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I never, (laughs) I never got good enough to go to regionals. Let's say that. And that's like the way that CrossFit competitions work is that you've got national ones where like people will just run a competition and call it a fitness competition and you can go and do it um but the big competition that everyone does every year is called the open yeah and the opens are an online competition where you do one workout a week at your own gym and then you get basically graded against everyone in the country and everyone in in your um it was called your region and um in the uk we were in the europe region and if you were in the top, like it used to be top 60 and it then went down to top 30. If you were, and now they don't have regionals at all, but this is how it was back then. If you were in the top 60 men and women of your region, you would go to regionals, which was a three day weekend competition. And then if you were in the top three to five of that regional, depending on the size of the region, you would then go to the CrossFit Games. Jeez. So, yeah, I, ne- I I was never good enough to get to regionals. Um, but the top year I ever had was 2015 where I was 192nd in Europe, I think. That was and really that, good. That was still out of about 10,000 men or something similar. Um, and the top score I got was like 85th in Europe or something on this. I think it was the second or the third workout of the five-week open. So that was like that was like my peak. <laughs> but then That's other than that, mental. yeah. My peak was like exceptional, but you know, whatever. <laughs> the thing is, is that like, I... 85th in Europe, but... <laughs> That, that workout 85th, yeah, like I, I did some national competitions in 
uh, in them. Um, and uh, yeah, like I did a, there's a competition called the Rainhill Trials in Manchester. That's that's quite a big one. Um, but that's one where like anyone can enter and then it's just a ballot to see who gets a place. And then they put okay. you against people of similar ability. Um, and I came second, I've come second in that competition twice. That's kind of like my uh, my highlight reel. Those are the only tro- trophies Was I have. Was it the same Boston. person that beat you twice? No, fortunately, oh, they're different people. They're different people each time. Um, but yeah, now like I I don't compete in CrossFit anymore. I've done I do one fitness competition a year now, which is called Strength in Depth, and that's a that's because that's a twelve person competition. So it's just like a right laugh. So yeah. I just do, I just do Good it for the crack. Yeah. Would you ever do competitive sport again? <laughs> um, I kind of say never say never. But at the moment, I'm I'm leaning toward never. I've uh, I've gotten really deep into the whole like training for health sake and for enjoyment sake. Yeah. So like, I still do Olympic lifting and I still do gymnastics and I still enjoy that training. But I do it very much for health and like for enjoyment as opposed to fitness. Because again, as you know, like sports performance is a is a peak condition that's quite far away from health, and CrossFit's mm-hmm. no exception. Yeah. So if you're trying to be if you're trying to be really good at CrossFit, you're pushing yourself to the limit with high intensity activity quite regularly. Um, and I just didn't enjoy that. I didn't enjoy getting out of breath anymore. <laughs> so yeah. I like I quite like being quite strong and then being good at gymnastics. But you can do that without having to redline your heart rate. Yeah, that's true. So. At the moment, I'm like I'm focusing on Olympic lifting and just like looking good and moving well, basically. Yeah, it's something that people find weird is that when they ask me the reason I gave up diving, one of the predominant reasons is I just got fed up of being cold and wet all the time. Yeah, it's like I can be strong and I can be athletic without having to like land face first on the water like a few times a session. Exactly, and <laughs> you, you know, once you. Once you've done it and you've been in that lifestyle, you can then like reflect on whether you want to keep doing it. And uh, the thing about CrossFit that I miss the most is probably the people more than anything. So I used to be part of a, like a great gym and we had a great community and I, I really loved being there. Um, but a couple of things happened between the owners where they they parted ways. Um, and then me and the, the owner that retained the gym had a bit of a... Um, not like not we just had a bit of a disagreement <clears throat> which then made me leave the gym both as a member um and I'd already left there as a coach by this point I'd gone kind of full-time nutrition coaching mm-hmm. um and th- this is the, the gym in Leeds because I missed out the story of my life where I made, like moved from London to Leeds but that's a that's a whole different book um we had a bit of an altercation and then I I left and I that's the only thing I miss. I don't miss the training aspect of CrossFit. I definitely miss like the community aspect because you do become quite close with a lot of people that you see regularly. Yeah. And then when you leave that bubble, you have to work really hard to like maintain those friendships. And I definitely have with a lot of them, but you, you still don't get included as in as much things as you would if you were there all the time. Yeah, definitely. Like you kind of go, you go through a lot with those people. I think it's the same in any sport. Is it you guys that you cry together and you bleed together and bones get broken together and stuff like that so you do form these like almost bonds through trauma <laughs> yeah and and hey you know like i I've, I've made a lot of connections through crossfit that i'll never i'll never uh you know get rid of like i still talk to people who are from cardiff i did a seminar for their gym like the other the other day um which is really cool to do and um i talk to the guys from crossfit thames all the time uh, which was the gym I worked for in London. I actually mm. did strength in depth with the CrossFit Thames group last year because you're allowed one 
one ringer. You're allowed one person on your team that isn't from the gym. So I formed that for them. Oh wow! Uh, and you know, like I still talk. I used to go to form Leeds. That was the gym that I used to used to train and work out here in Leeds. Oh, I think I know it. Yeah, it's in it's in the, it's in the center of town. It's quite yeah. it's in it's in Holbeck, mm. um, just around the corner of Northern Monk, actually, which is one of my favorite beers. Um, but yeah, I still talk to a lot of the guys from there all the time, and you know, we 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 talk quite regularly and stuff so you know i've definitely made connections that i'll uh and you know people from competitions and stuff that i i connect with over social media you know those are those are bonds that you won't you won't get rid of so yeah so i know that you've had quite a bit of like a fitness journey nutrition journey like body transformation journey if you want to call it that what's your what's your body image and body confidence like now uh it's it's at the best it's ever been now I still get some hang-ups every now and then. And I yeah. think I, I think I always will. I'm not sure if I'll ever fully shake them. Um, and I'm not going to give you that whole like, oh, I used to be chubby and now I'm a personal trainer, kind of like, you know, caterpillar into a butterfly type shit. Yeah. Uh, but that was kind of what it was in that like I was, a, I, when I look back at secondary school now, I was like, I wasn't actually that chubby, but I was chubby enough to get a bit of a ribbing for it. And I was chubby enough to like, for it to affect my confidence with girls and things like that. Um and I didn't actually start losing a serious bit of weight until that summer. Um, well, it was the summer between first year of uni and second year of uni when my mates and I found the gym. So I'd always played rugby, but I was always a prop. So you just need to be big and heavy to play that position. Yeah. Between the summer of first and second year, my friends and I found standard bodybuilding training as just something to fill the summer holiday with. Um, and I actually lost quite a bit of weight, got quite trim. Um, and then that was kind of my entry into fitness. The year after was when I started CrossFit um but when I was in CrossFit I was still like quite chubby so I was big and I was strong but I was still quite chubby and uh I didn't really know why because I was like I feel like I'm eating all right to be honest but it was just the fact that I was eating too many you know too many calories um and I bounced between doing the paleo diet which is like eating clean on steroids because you're not even allowed things like rice like the only carbohydrate you should have is sweet potato for whatever reason because it's natural um as opposed to the white potatoes which are definitely 100% not natural yeah exactly like the paleo diet had this kind of you know grains and legumes are all bad they'll give you cancer and diabetes and they you know they believe the whole like insulin causes fat gain hypothesis um so you should avoid all carbohydrates apart from purely vegetables and fruits and things like that um because fruit doesn't spike insulin uh, and neither does no, it doesn't. so you know the, your, the fiber cancels out the insulin exactly as we all know fiber uh, binds the insulin and just gets rid of it <laughs> and for those listening to this podcast that aren't aware that we're being sarcastic we, that, we is, are. that is sarcasm yeah um so you know i dance between paleo and eating clean and doing bodybuilder type diets and uh the only issue with those is that i would just like you know have cheat days or cheat weekends those kind of things um so it wasn't until i actually started working with a nutrition coach who taught me about calories energy balance um flexible dieting that kind of thing where i started to see some great progress um and the thing is is that in crossfit as well like again i look back and i was a bit chubby but i wasn't i wasn't out of shape mm. but in crossfit everyone is so shredded that You're like, probably just like a little bit less shredded than everyone else yes that's definitely what it was and that still is the case now um and but you'd still get called like chubby or fat like off offhand like as a bit of a joke but if you've been someone who's had a body image disorder that's going to hit you quite hard Mm -hmm. um and so when I started carrying macros I was like I just went all in 
I was like, right, I'm going to count all my macros to the exact gram. I remember being like on point with protein, carbohydrates and fats every day. And I got like, I got shredded that, that year that I did when I came that, that top open score, I was eating like 500 grams of carbs a day. Um, but was still dropping body fat. Like I went down to, I went to, I'm 95 kilos now. I went down to 85 and I was, I was like, I've got a picture of me doing a thruster in one of the the workout, like, which is a movement where you put the barbell over your head for those that can't watch this, whatever. And um, there's a picture of me, which I've literally got like an eight pack and I'm absolutely peeled. But at the time I was telling my nutrition coach that I still wanted to get leaner. I still wanted to get lighter and it became quite bad because the macros became my diet i was Mm. like if i wasn't tracking then i was off the rails i would eat anything in sight and like proper gorge proper binge um even though i had 500 grams of carbs to eat per day because i was training twice a day living in london and working at a crossfit gym so i was doing like 30 odd thousand steps a day on top of two training sessions so yeah i was able to eat like 3600 calories and still lose weight consistently week on week out which when i look at now i'm like oh what a the dream <laughs> the dream uh whereas now it's far different um but you know i it's been a long journey from there to now where i uh i actually accept that even though i'm a bit fluffier than i used to be i'm still in very good shape um and yeah i'm not shredded but like I don't count calories anymore and I maintain my weight pretty effortlessly and I drink great craft beer. I enjoy a brownie when I want one. Um, and, but I still have a very, you know, full nutrient dense, healthy diet filled with protein, fruit and vegetables and and all of the good things in life. So, uh, I'm definitely in a much better place now, but I speak to CrossFitters regularly who are in great shape and they want to be leaner women in particular and and i think that's one of the bad things about crossfit is that because it's so competitive people can find themselves comparing themselves to games athletes and genetic freaks so people are like i need to lose weight and you're like no you don't you're fine it's like no but i want abs it's like why do you want abs because then i'll be better at crossfit it's like that's actually not true you You could you could probably be better at crossfit being a bit fluffier um and I always give the uh, representation now of Matt, Matt Fraser. Yeah. I think I think Matt Fraser is the best thing that could have happened to CrossFit because he is an absolute machine and he's in great shape. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to call Matt Fraser fat because he's not. Um, Matt Fraser is in great shape, but he's not shredded. He's not like Rich Froning shredded. He's not Rich Froning shredded. No, he's got abs when he tenses. But if you saw him soft, if you saw him just like stood there, you'd, you'd think to yourself, does this guy lift? Like he's don't get me wrong, he's got massive biceps. I've seen him in person. I actually trained with him at a Nike training event years ago, which was pretty cool. So you've seen him soft. But I've seen him soft, yeah. And you'd think like, does that guy lift? But the thing is, is that, uh, but well, you know, you wouldn't. You'd still say that guy's in epic shape because he's got yeah. massive shoulders, massive arms, and as I said, although he wouldn't have a six pack unless he tensed, he still looks in great shape. He's built but, a bit more like a rugby player, isn't he? Then yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's not then shredded. Not um and so i think actually a lot of crossfitters have borderline body dysmorphia and or eating disorders because they just want to reach a pinnacle that they don't realize is actually quite far removed from health yeah like um is it it sam briggs and she's absolutely diced to the bone oh yeah but sam briggs struggles to put on muscle that's what people don't realize is that Sam, sam briggs was a firefighter and an endurance athlete she was a triathlete before she did crossfit yeah 
And that's why she did so well at CrossFit at first, because she was just fitter than everyone else. Yeah. And actually, Sam Sam really struggles to bulk up. Like, I, I know Sam reasonably well, because I, I coached at Train Manchester for a good six months before I worked in Leeds. Oh, wow. Um, which is the gym that she co-owns. So she used to train there every day while I was there working. Um, and I knew the lads from uh, Train Manchester quite well while I was working in London, because whenever I visited up north, I would go and train there. Mm-hmm. My brother my brother lived in Manchester and trained there, you see, so I kind of knew them for a while. Uh so yeah, she's absolutely diced, but she struggles to put on mass and yeah. and, and now she yeah, she trains like eight hours a day. It's a full time job. Yeah. You and can't then, do that and not be diced. People see that and go, Well, she's good at CrossFit and she's really lean, therefore to be good at CrossFit, I have to be really lean. Yeah, they make that stupid. They not stupid. They make that jump between one situation and another. So they're like, yeah. right, well, they they do this and they're this body shape. Therefore, to do this, I should be that body shape. And that's yeah. a it's a non correlation. Then to you look that. at you look at people like, is it Cara Webb, who's the Australian mm-hmm. who can like clean and jerk mo- more than a lot of the men? Oh um, yeah, and she's like nowhere near as lean. Like she's no. still in ins- insane shape, but yeah, I think you see this a lot in like endurance athletes as well, in that they see someone like Paula Radcliffe and go, "Well, she was absolutely shredded mm. and like had zero body fat when she ran a marathon." Therefore, mm. there's this sort of pressure to ath- on athletes to be, yeah, like really lean. I yeah, think. it's it's the same pressure, um, and unfortunately, uh, I think you know that's why I stepped away from CrossFit as well. Is that like you can see that happening to, to members in that they they want to reach these pinnacles of competition that are quite far removed from health. And you're like, your goals actually, they, they don't work together. You want to be absolutely treaded, but you want to have a balanced social life and you work a full-time job and you want to like have kids or sleep. And do you know what I mean? It's like these things are really far removed and you need to be aware of those things. Plus being shredded doesn't equal peak performance, peak fueling equals peak performance. And, at the moment, that might leave you at a higher body fat than this, and you've got to be okay with that. Yeah, hundred um, percent. Are you a bit of a perfectionist? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably one of my biggest limiters. Yeah. Is that I don't do something unless I'm really happy with it. Okay. And uh, <laughs> and so it's like, with regards to like business development in general, people are always saying, you know, like don't worry about it's perfect, just get it out there and then refine it as you go. And you're like, no. <laughs> no. I'm like no <laughs> I, I, i'm sorry i don't understand that concept <laughs> that was like come again like I, did you just speak french um so i'm i'm a big thing of like you know i have these sort of big goals of helping a lot of people but then i'm I'm very much like oh yeah but i'm only gonna do one-to-one because that way i'm definitely gonna have great results with people yeah. and you're like yeah but you're not you're not gonna reach a lot of people doing that and you're like yeah yeah but at least they'll get great results and you're like okay johnny think a bit bit wider um so I definitely am. It's a, it's something that I'm working on trying to, it's not bad being a hard worker, but you need to almost let go of being a perfectionist, as you said, because you mm. can't attain perfection. So how do you kind of, I guess you have a bit of like a, almost like a fear of failure. How do you cope with that fear of failure? <laughs> That's amazing that you've managed to analyse that. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm massively afraid of failure, which is why like things in the past that I, when I've deemed myself as a failure, I get like, a little bit like, you let yourself down there, Johnny um which is Even why so, you only came 85th in europe yeah it's like God. yeah what a dickhead i never made it to regionals you know i uh um 
yeah, those things like play on my mind quite a bit, but I try to move forward from them now in a positive way. So as I said, like the thing about not making it as an actor and, you know, giving up on being a vet to be an actor, I like I think things as positive decisions and life lessons along the way um, mm. that then influence me to try and work harder. Um, and I think that's why, like when I said to you about the, the goals of the business, the last couple of years, I've kind of been playing it safe with this, like, you know, one-to-one clients and, and doing things that way because I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of telling people my goal and failing to reach it. Yeah. I'm afraid of I'm afraid of putting it out there and starting to work on it for it to just fall flat on its face. Um, so I'm not sure if I really have an answer. I I'm constantly trying to work against that fear of failure. I think when I tell my clients about it, you've you've kind of got to take that leap of faith and then work hard as hell to to make it work. Mm-hmm. Because even if it does and it might you've got it's like with weight loss or whatever right you're going to have times where you fail but you want to fail forward so it's like you want to learn from that failure and then adapt and overcome it and then you'll be better because otherwise you're not actually going to improve I love that word like failing forward yeah I've never kind of used that before but I like that I call it from Justin Sewer so I'm not going to take I'm not going to take um ownership of that there's a guy called Justin Sewer who's like a mindset coach from America I can't remember why I found him it's called increase your impact which is like three to five minutes of like daily positive mindset and it's like if you listen to that first thing in the morning it just gets you pumped for the day like I love it that's that's what inspired me to start a daily format podcast was the fact he did like three to five minute snippets and I was like I wanted to do a nutrition podcast on three to five minute snippets because I thought that would help the gen pop oh that's cool um so what is next for Johnny Landles where are you where are you going like what what do you want to do uh, well, I mean, after this, I think I'm going to do some training. No, um, go back on the trampoline. Uh, and... yeah, I'm going to go back on the trampoline and record how well this episode went, um, <laughs> which I probably will do actually. Uh, what's next? It's a good question. So it's you know, as I just said to you there, like I'm at the minute in my business, I'm not I'm not at a crossroads, but I'm definitely at where I need to start thinking of like how I'm how I start working towards this kind of big goal of mine. Um, yeah. And I've spent a lot of money over the last couple of years on different business coaches and different mentors and things like that, who have definitely helped me with providing me with skills and some and some passion and, and certain things that I need. Um, and now it's a case of I've got a great one-to-one service. I'll definitely say that I've got a great one-to-one service. And I've played around with group programs that I was like mediumly happy with. I was really happy with the program, but with any group, you great results. And you've got other people that that get lost along the way for whatever reason um and just like you said there I'm a perfectionist I want everyone to get great results so I'm kind of I'm assessing what to do with that at the moment and what I do next with it because I've got I've got an idea where I, I'd love to create a, like a weight loss group that actually works that's built on great foundation and provides people with great education and a great platform to make change um so that's in my head on something to do but I think what's next is that I might put what I've got together almost as a digital offering because right now people are in a place where they're consuming more online than ever before um and people are in different positions financially so some have others don't so at least if it's a digital product that has solid information at least they're they're getting solid information that they can implement at the right time um so I'd say that's kind of like an immediate next step in the future. I'd like to work towards this idea of uh, producing a group program that works in public 
potentially you know, around Leeds um, and then taking it from there. Amazing. What can or where can people find you if they want to work with you? Um, what kind of services do you offer? I know you said you have like a one-to-one program. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of, that's that's the main thing at the moment. As I said, I'm going to try and work towards more either like group things or digital products in the future. At the moment, I've got a good one-to-one consulting service is what I call it, which is a deep dive where it's 12 weeks initially. And then we have a review of whether people need more help and we can kind of take it from there and give it kind of bespoke. But the 12 weeks is a 30 minute consultation each week where we talk about nutrition, fitness, and it's a behavior change service where we talk about these are the habits we want to be building in order to help you start to reach your goals, be that weight loss or muscle gain or, or health improvements. And through those 12 weeks, I help them educate them on those behaviors, help them implement those behaviors into their life and give them that platform that they can then continue making those results and and keep those results for life as opposed to just doing another diet 20 weeks down the line um so that's my one-to-one service if people want to check that out they can go to nextstep-nutrition.com uh if they want to follow me personally my handle is at johnny landles on instagram no h Uh, in the johnny no h in the johnny no j-o-n-n-y uh, that's just because I'm Jonathan formally and Jonathan without an H in it. So I turned it to Johnny without an H in it. So at Johnny Landles, uh, and then the business on Facebook is at next step nutrition limited. If they want to follow that, they can do. And Amazing. the podcast, the podcast is next step espresso. If they fancy a, so a short, short daily tip. Yeah, there you go. That's why I called it espresso. Cause it's a daily shot. It's like just three to five minutes long. Oh, that's clever. That Thank is actually very clever. I thought that yeah um so thank you for being our podcast guest today um say goodbye to the listeners and i'm gonna hit stop record charlotte thank you so much for having me it's been a blast it has right see you later bye